Good morning. Happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for uh, worshiping with us. If you're in from out of town visiting family, I know we got this is a big weekend for family reunions and stuff like that. So we want to say hi to everybody who's not normally with us. Even if you're with us just this Sunday, we're glad that you're here worshiping at Lover's Lane. Today is a little bit of a different Sunday. Yes. Uh, we don't have a uh, planned sermon, no if sermon. you will. Um, and so we just didn't feel like writing one, no. you know, we were just like, oh, tired. Well, yeah, we're tired, you know, no, no, we, uh, what we like to do in here is occasionally, uh, flip it up a little bit, switch it up and do a, do a Q and a session. Yes. Um, because clearly we know things, you know, I'm an uh, expert. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we are, we are definitely experts. No, we know that there are questions that come across, uh, your brain as you're listening to sermons, as you're going through your life week to week, month to month. And we don't always address those questions head on in sermons. Sometimes we do. We thank the Holy Spirit for that. A lot of times we don't. And so just having a time when we can address some of these, especially the little ones that, you know, yes. you go, I don't know if that's worth the whole sermon. I don't know if I should bother the pastor with that. Yes, you should. Yes. You should always bother the pastor with your questions. That's why we're here. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to, here's the way it's going to work. We're going to answer a handful of questions right now. Um, and then we're going to take a, a, an offering right now. If you have any questions on your brain that you'd like to submit on the high tables in the back, we've got a couple uh, tables back there. Uh, we've got little sheets of paper. Feel free to get up at any point in the service and grab a cup of coffee, glass of water, uh, fill out a question, stick it in that basket. When we do um, offering, uh, if you have a question with you, you can stick it in the, ba- in the offering baskets. Then we'll Attached do Attached a- to your $100. Yeah, the, oh, the questions do have a price, yeah. Um, Don't forget that. The harder the question, the more zeros. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, after the offering, we'll, do it, we'll take on a few more questions. And, uh, yeah. So full disclosure, I'm not feeling super great this yeah, morning. Yeah. So, and I also have an icy hot patch on my back. Feeling good. Because I also hurt my back, so yeah. solid morning for yeah, me. Yeah, so if like Reagan gets up and runs away <laughs> at one point. Um, now you know. Now there we you go. Know. So we're just going to see what happens this morning. Aren't you all excited? You get to be with us Honesty, on this journey. Yeah. Yay. Okay. First question. Uh, I love this one. It's a good one. Why don't you it's read a it? Thinker. Go, go, Reagan. Is Bitcoin an acceptable currency for my tithe? I mean, have y'all seen the prices on Bitcoins recently? I would say yes. Fair. Absolutely. Yes. Give us all the Bitcoins Basket's you have. Full of yeah. Them. <laughs> Anyways, that's a. Yeah, that's fine. the answer is yes. You can give Bitcoin. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I don't think we actually have the ability for that. Actually, don't no, try to give Bitcoin yet. We don't. Um, <laughs> don't know what our finance office would do with that. <laughs> They'd put it in our bit bank. I don't know. Um, what passages? Here's next question. What passages do you think don't get preached on enough? All right, Reagan. Um, well, you know, I think we're doing a lot better with getting in the Old Testament, but those obviously are not preached on about. I think some of the harder ones, just in general, are um, how to navigate stories where it got, you know, it talks about God being angry and the fire coming down and yeah. things like that people struggle with. Um, Hosea is kind of a difficult story. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's a real hard one for a lot of people, but... Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. Others Some of you are like, what is Song I'm of look Solomon? That joke up later. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. What about you? Uh, I think, so I agree, Old Testament, yes. I think in terms of New Testament, um, two come to mind. One would be the letter of James, uh, which recently I've enjoyed preaching out of more. James is kind of a controversial letter. It almost got nixed by Martin Luther. He really didn't like James. So when the Reformation happened and they were establishing the Protestant canonized Bible, uh, Martin Luther like really didn't want to include it, but they ended up including it 
Uh, and that's because you could read James and get the impression that James thinks that we're saved by what we do, right? That salvation comes through our actions. I, we include James in, in the Protestant Bible because that's really a misreading of James. That's not what James is really saying. And so I like, I like teaching James correctly because I think Jesus preaches a very action-oriented faith. I think James uplifts that. The other one I'd say is Revelation. Um, it gets taught in a lot of churches um, it doesn't get taught well yeah. in a lot of churches uh, without throwing stones, but I guess I sort of just did. Um, uh, it, you know, it, a lot of times we think of Revelation as this really scary dragons and beasts and lakes of fire kind of story. Yeah. And like, yeah, there are dragons and beasts and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's like a happy ending. It really is. It's supposed to be a happy ending to the Bible. And we don't really emphasize that enough. Sure. And like, why is Revelation a good news and not a, not a scary um, Nicolas Cage movie? Yeah. Um, for those left behind fans in the room. All right, uh, next question. Let's keep moving. Okay. Uh, let's see, why do Methodists not believe in educating our youth like Catholics? Now let's explain this question a little bit because yes. I don't think, yeah, what, so. I think in general, te- like the catechism, like, you know, there's a lot of formality, there's a lot well, of. Explain what, he, what, what the asker means by that, like, like catechism. I don't think everyone yeah, knows what. Yeah, I guess just like the, I mean, it's pretty intense teaching and I'm not Catholic, so I don't no, know. No, you're not. You're about to get know. ordained a Methodist pastor. You're not Catholic, no. So no, I think there's, um, I don't want to say strict. That's not necessarily the word. But I think there's a lot of um, steps and a lot of formality. I mean, they do know a lot of stuff. They recite stuff. They, And I feel like maybe, I don't know, there's more formality to it, I guess. Yeah, I it's know. definitely a more formal approach yes. to introducing kids to faith. Um and I think the Methodists, we, we kind of have a both-end approach, right? So we have what's called confirmation, which is kind of like Catholic catechism, although um, there's not a, a set way that you have to do it. Some churches do confirmation for a whole year. Um, some churches like ours do it over the course of more like a semester. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, there's a lot of other ways that you're introduced to the faith. You know, if, if the only way you're brought into the faith is through that one process, then I think there's a lot of people that miss out. Um, so Methodists try to have more doors and ways sure. in. Yeah, um, I would say, um, I know, I mean, the priests have a lot of authority and a lot of people seek them. You know, there's confession and all that. Um, and I think in other denominations, um, I mean, our hope and our prayer is that, you know, you're, how you're teaching your kids especially is not dependent yeah. on us. That's a good point. <laughs> I think a lot of denominations look at how is the whole church, how are the people actually teaching the right. faith? How are you living it out? And so, yeah, we don't have these formal classes, but, you know, we emphasize being in mentorship or small groups and all these different things, even at a young age, yeah. um, so you can discover and know your faith more. So and and say, it works, you know. Yeah. I mean, not to spoil the ending, at the end of worship, we'll invite a couple of uh, kids that are a part of this church, they're going to be baptized today following worship, uh, and, they'll, and they'll be uh, experiencing that. And so um, that kind of both-end approach, I think, sure. I think does work. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. I like this one. Why is Kansas the worst state? Okay, so... No, okay, I'll take that one. This is going to take a while. No. I don't think we'll have time for the other questions, to be honest. First of all, it's a rectangle. It's literally just a rectangle. She's got all these things in her house that have, like, the state of Kansas, like, printed on it. Like, the, the... it's, it's a rectangle. Like, someone just went into, like, word art and just drew a rectangle and, like, it's Kansas, you know. And they're like, no, 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 you got to take a little chunk out. You know, what? Like, my toddler bit it in the corner or something. <laughs> 
It's just not an exciting state. That's just number one. That's that. I, that okay. There's a whole chapter of a book I'm writing that's just on. Keep. I mean, which rectangle is it even? There's like four of them in a row. Yeah. I can't. I, I've been there 80 times. I can't tell you which one is Kansas. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, Scott's favorite game is um, if your kids have like a little puzzle with the United States with the little wooden pieces. Oh. He loves to flip like the four that are like the Rectangles. same. Rectangles. Shut up. And, um, <laughs> and he'll flip them so I can't see the two. I know. House, Reagan. That is the S word. And he'll be like, Reagan, which one's Kansas? Yeah. And the kids don't know because they're all the same. It's great. All right, next question. No, I have a... Whoever oh, you, said, yeah. Oh. I'm going to answer it with a question like Jesus would. Okay. <laughs> why is Kansas the worst state? I would say to this person, why are you the worst person ever? Why? Oh. That is a member of our church. <laughs> okay. Why do you want to go to... I, yeah. I don't think you're feeling well. I think it's time for you to go. Um, okay. Okay, you skipped one. I did? Yeah. Oh, 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 I liked this it's a good one. one. Yeah. What could Methodists learn from other great religions and cultures? Oh, gosh, so much. Yeah. So the first thing that, I, that I've uh, learned this past year or so, there's this interfaith group called Daughters of Abraham that meets around the city, and we meet, um, we take turns meeting at... Um, temple, a mosque, and then a church. And so there's always different topics. And so I've, I've been able to go at a handful of times and I'm trying to think, we were talking about, oh, the question was talking about heaven and, or what's the afterlife. And what I, ha, I never occurred to me is that a lot of Jewish people don't believe in any sort of afterlife. Like people were sharing hmm. and saying, well, I don't, the, um, the Jews were th- saying, no, um, or the Jew participants were saying, yeah, we don't really believe in it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I didn't realize it. But they said, you know, we are so passionate and so called that we have to bring redemption about into the world that we live in right now. And so if you know, if you have any friends that um, practice the Jewish faith, they are very um, social justice minded. They're, I mean, they're just environmentally conscious. They do all these things because they know this is, this is all we have, and so we are very much called to k- take care of people and, and heal the earth and do all these things. And I thought, oh, like, okay, we should probably do more of that, because I think sometimes we yeah. do get fixated on what is to come, and we kind of miss out on what we're called to do now. So I think I was really inspired by that. So I love how committed they are to that. So Good answer. That's one thing I've yeah, learned. I think... I mean, I get a version of this question a lot when I meet with people for coffee or lunch or whatever. Um, because we live in a more globalized world, we're all, all of us could probably name several friends who belong to faiths other than Christianity. Um, and so the question of, you know, how do I, as a Christian, interact with other faiths um, comes up a lot. Um, and I think, you know, two things really come to mind for me is, uh, number one is, is, you know, maintaining, even as we in- interact with other faiths, maintaining what is it about Jesus that makes us Christian, right? What is it about Jesus that is special and what makes his redeeming work important enough that we would call ourselves Christian uh, above, you know, any of the other faiths or, or ideologies? Um, but number two, just because we believe that, that Jesus has done something redemptive that nothing else offers us, that Jesus is special and is the Son of God and all of that wonderful doctrinal stuff, just because we believe that doesn't mean that we can't learn something from other faiths, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we can't learn what it means to be still uh, like, like a Buddhist. Like, I've been to a Buddhist mosque. I don't know how to be still like Buddhists do, right? They could teach me what it means to, to center myself. Um, the, the, the rigor of prayer that, that Muslim people have, you know, you know, five times a day and facing Mecca 
and that, that structured kind of faith. Like, I, I need that more in my life. I know that I do. So I think there's a balancing act that comes along sure. with, with knowing Jesus' important, special yeah. And also listening to others. As and well. another one, it's not really religions or culture, but I've been really inspired by learning more about um, AA and different groups and their mm. process. And I think it's just been incredible the way that they teach forgiveness and just so much. And so I think that that program has brought so much, obviously, healing and redemption to people. And I think if we could take on what they do a lot, I think we would heal and be better people too. Yeah. So that's one. Okay. Um, let's see. We got time for probably a couple more before our break. Let's do, which one do you want to do? Let's do this one. You do this one. This is fun for y'all, sure. isn't it? Yeah. Watch us pick questions. That's really exciting. Um, okay. This person asked, what's the best balance to strike between taking everything your pastor says as indisputable truth and not complementing that with your own studies or the polar opposite, discrediting all authority figures and only trusting yourself. Well, I mean, clearly y'all should understand us as, as, as the definitive right. authorities right. in your lives. You should worship us. Right. If really. you're not writing down verbatim what we're saying and keeping very... Like tattoos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like. <laughs> no, that's a very good question. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a more cynical world today uh, than probably years past especially when it comes to persons in leadership positions. I think general public opinion of leaders is at an all-time low. Um, and so how does that translate to going to a church and sitting and facing one or two talking heads and listening to what they're saying and, and having them lead you in that way? How do you, how do you apply the right amount of trust to that leader, yeah. to that individual? I don't know. You want to tackle that? Well, as Methodists, <laughs> uh -oh. Oh, there goes my phone. Yep. It's fine. No one should call me right now. If you do, that's rude. Okay, so as Methodists, we believe in this thing called the quadrilateral, which is really great. We do. It's a rectangle, kind of like Kansas. <laughs> Neat. Um, so, and we take in, we look at Scripture. Yep. So there's four things. Scripture. Scripture is the foundation. It's primary. Yes. And then we have uh, tradition. Yep. Yep. Thanks, babe. <laughs> and we have reason yep. and experience. What was that? Yeah, tradition, experience, and reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just doing the box. Oh, okay, Up great. there's Kansas City. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Anyway, so that is a tool, a, a tool that we can use when you come across a lot of different things, really, but theology and um, different things that you think, okay, how does this, how does this line up with Scripture? Um, because we've talked about this before, that I think there's, obviously, there's a lot of Scripture that can be confusing, and you think maybe it contradicts stuff, um, maybe other stuff you read, but finding these foundational scriptures that, you know, these are the foundations of what I believe, because I know there's a few things I'm like, without a, without a doubt, I know that I need to love God, I need to love others, so I, I, and that um, all people are created in the image of God, and, and those are kind of like these foundational things that help carry me through a lot of different things, mm -hmm. but so you look at scripture, you want to look at tradition, look at, you know, what have we been talking about? What have we kind of agreed on in the Christian church for thousands of So if your pastor's taking years, a wild left turn. Yes. Okay. Then you might be like, hey. Um, and yeah, you use your experience. What have you yeah. personally experienced? What have you thought about um, and reason? Like, God gave us a brain. <laughs> so yeah. it's okay to ask questions and, and think critically and all of that. And so those are kind of the tools I use when 
maybe I'm listening to a sermon or reading a book where I'm like, I don't think that really lines up with things. I place it under the quadrilateral and see how it plays out. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think we try to emphasize in here, you know, that critical thinking doesn't stop when you walk through the doors, right? I think that one of the gifts of the Christian faith is that it is a faith that engages your, your brain and that mm-hmm. um, I think pastors are, are critical. Uh, you know, I've had pastors in my life that have helped lead me and mold me and shape me, and I still do. Um, I think trying to be your own spiritual leader is, is you get in sort of dangerous territory there. Mm-hmm. I think you should always have somebody who's leading you, guiding you, mentoring you. Um, at the same time, you shouldn't ever p- elevate them to idolatry, right, to where they become the, the, the placeholder for God, right? Um, I think it's really important that we not place pastors or preachers on a pedestal. Man, that's some good alliteration right there on the fly. Um, uh, we shouldn't put pastors and preachers on a pedestal to where um, they have to be perfect, and once we realize that they're not, then we, we have to question everything in our faith. Yes. Because your pastor is not perfect. You know, nobody is. And and invariably at some point you will encounter that. You don't want your whole faith to be rocked because you'd really made it about one person. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's just and that just helps when you read different theologians or pastors like because I'll read books where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And then like there'll be like one chapter where I'm like, oh you lost me. Um, but I don't ever want to throw out everything. You know, I yeah. think they're I don't know. Again, just use your brain. It's a good gift. So let's do one more question okay. before a break. And while I'm asking this, if you've thought of any questions you, you have, um, you, you're not going to disturb anybody. Today's kind of a relaxed day in worship. Um, stand up. Go to the tables in the back. We've got pieces of paper out there. Write down a question. You can keep it with you and put it in the offering plate when offering um, is received uh, here in just a moment. Okay. Uh, Reagan, why don't you pick the… Do you want to do a real question? I, I'm probably. Okay. Let's, not a well, fake question. <laughs> So, what did you learn in seminary that surprised you? What did I learn in the seminary that surprised me? Um, two things. One of them more intellectual and one of them more just relational. Uh, one thing I learned, uh, just sort of knowledge that I hadn't really considered, was um, the way that the Bible was, was formed. Um, this is one of those things that you learn and it shakes a lot of people because, um, again, if you build your faith on like one very specific tangible thing or very specific way of understanding, um, when that gets challenged, it can rock your whole world. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to have your faith built on more than just like one singular way of sure. understanding something. Um, so the, the one thing I learned in seminary that, that, that shakes a lot of people that I just found fascinating was um, the, the Bible was formed after the beliefs were in place. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, the, the, the Bible was not canonized until, you know, several hundred years A.D. Um, and, and, and before it was canonized, meaning before the, the books of the Bible were officially set as these are the books of the Bible, you know, we had had creeds written. We had argued over things like, was Jesus really the Son of God? Was Jesus fully God and fully human? Um, did Jesus really die? What's the Holy Spirit? Trinitarian theology, uh, you know, understanding God as three in one. All of these things had been debated, discussed, and, and set through councils and creeds in the early church, and then they established the Bible. Now, that really messes with some people because they go, wait a second. So we had the beliefs first and the Bible second. Well, not exactly. Those books were all very much available to several, to several you know, uh, I mean, to lots and lots and lots of, of leaders, and not all of them had the same exact books. Uh, but these texts were all available to a lot of the early Christian leaders. Um, 
And you have to keep in mind, too, that, that, that the Bible was, was canonized not just because they said, well, you know, this is what we want them to believe, so let's set these books. Um, you, what I see is I see a movement of the Holy Spirit that guides these people through mountains of texts, to, through impossible theological dilemmas that they end up crafting just beautiful theology. And then they set up a, a, a library of texts that, um, that are not all the same voice, that are not all the same, you know, uh, they, but they all point you in the same direction. They point you towards this belief in Jesus Christ, this, this belief in God as three in one. It points you to these beliefs that are said in the creeds and in the council statements. Um, and so I think that's really cool to think about how the Holy Spirit was active through all those hundreds of years to forming um, these sacred texts that we now enjoy on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. Um, but I, like I said, I saw some, some classmates of mine really get shaken up by that because the idea that the Bible wasn't there to, to, you know, the Bible as we know it wasn't there to inform the creeds really messed with them. And it's like, well, wait a second, you know, where's your theology of the Holy Spirit in that? Can't the Spirit be at work in all these things and be, and be guiding these things together? Um, and then just on a personal note, I think what, what, um, what surprised me when I, went, when I went to seminary was just uh, how differently people can understand God and the Christian faith and how when you meet them and, and, and get to know them on a personal level, um, you develop a respect for them and their beliefs, even when they don't line up with your own. You know, Perkins is a pretty diverse group of students, and there would be students that I was like, man, your beliefs are off the wall. I can't get there. But I see that you're there, and, like, it is authentic and real for you, and I can respect that, and I see that God is at work in your life and has led you to these conclusions, and it really expanded what it meant for me to, to be a, a Christian and a Christian leader and, and to see a living relationship with Christ that live, was lived out so many different ways, and seeing my classmates now doing so many different types of ministry is really cool. Yeah. All right. For me? Yeah. Um, how little it taught me how to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Honest answer. I was like, so we're not going to have a class on, I don't know. Budget like, sheets. Budget sheets. Yeah. That, that would be helpful. Nope. Um, nope. No, it is funny. Like, I mean, you get all the, you get a lot of head knowledge, yeah. but they don't really teach you a lot about how to like execute being a pastor. Right. You know, which, so a lot of it's just. Trial and error, <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you guys for, are guinea pigs. Yeah, so you're welcome. Um, but I mean, I was thinking about that yesterday. So uh, all the all the pastors on staff, we were on call every so often, and so yesterday or Friday night, I got a call that there was a man who's on hospice who's dying and wanted to see if I could come pray. And so um, the next morning, so I came Saturday morning and and prayed with him and sat and talked with the family for a long time. That was something. I did not learn that in seminary, no. <laughs> so, no. um, but that is like the practical things that you do more, and so a lot of it is just, you do have to be really attuned to what the Holy Spirit wants and, and is doing, because, yeah, I don't know what to say in those situations. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to be there for people, and, but I'm very reliant, and God always shows up. The Holy Spirit always shows up in those moments, and they always end up being so sacred and so holy and just these tender moments that I'm just so privileged to be part of. And so in those moments, it's helpful to be at a church with a lot of other pastors who've been through stuff that we've not. So we can go into Stan's office, go into Kay's office and be like, Hey, this is happening. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? They didn't, there's not a book for this, you know, and um, they kind of giggle and, you know, like, oh, sweet young pastors, <laughs> they're yeah. figuring this all out for the first time. Yeah. You know, but it's helpful. It's nice to have, again, like I said, we have pastors and mentors in our lives right. 
who can lead us and guide us. Or like this week when I didn't check the hospital visit list correctly, yes. or it wasn't updated. So I went to a room, it was not the person I was coming to see. And I realized about five minutes into the visit. Yeah, that she it was, was the like wrong full on person. in conversation. Um, and I was like, this is not the right person. <laughs> um, so but I, it was. But I sat with this family from Oklahoma. Yeah. And talked to them for 30 minutes and prayed with him and baptized them all. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> but, you know, no, I texted my covenant group. I'm like, so I just sat in the wrong room with the person for 30 minutes. And they're like, oh, we've all been there. I'm like, yep. okay, yep. good. Yep. Put the name on the door. They didn't have the name on the door. <laughs> All right. On that note, it's, uh, let, let's, let's pause and, and receive an offering uh, this morning um, as, as we do, as we prepare our hearts uh, to, to give and give generously. Um, we're gearing up for the summer months here at Lover's Lane, which means that we're going to be especially active in community outreach through our vacation Bible school program, through the various events uh, that take place on this campus. Uh, when you give in this service, it allows not just this service to happen, it allows the whole church to happen, allows our facilities to happen, allows our staff to happen, uh, and then a lot of amazing things that you'll never even see um, are able to take place. Uh, so your dollar goes far uh, here at Lover's Lane, and Reagan, would you pray for our offering this morning? Sure, I'd love to. And don't forget, to, if you've got questions, put them in the offering yes. basket. Um, okay. uh, let's pray. God, we're thankful for this morning, and um, we do want to remember those um, on this weekend, um, those that gave their life, those that served, those that um, yeah, gave time, gave, just sacrificed a lot, sacrificed their lives as well. Uh, we also just want to continue to pray that this church would continue to be bold, and that we would lead, and that we would be a generous church, that we would give of ourselves to the people in this city in this country and in this world, in whatever ways, whether it's small or big, make us obedient, make us um, be people that respond. So may you bless these gifts to your kingdom and to what you're doing and to your leading. That's your name. Amen. Very good. Okay. Ushers, if we have any questions in the offertory baskets, um, somebody gather those and then don't be shy. Come run on up here. And um, yeah, so we'll get back going. Okay, so uh, round two now. Feeling good? Sure. How's that Gatorade? It's great. Yeah? They're not a sponsor, by the way. Yeah. I don't know why we're repping them. We should really take the label off. Yeah. It's not even, they're not even contributing a dime to this morning. Gatorade. All right. You got another question you want to do? You'd see one on there that you like? Um, yeah, let's do that one. This one? Yeah. Okay. How do you reconcile the less-than-believable parts of the Bible? Talking donkeys, talking snakes, chariots of fire, etc. Do you interpret this as figurative, not literal language? And if not, why do these miraculous things no longer happen? So are they real or are they not? If they're real, then why don't they still happen? Okay. Go, Reagan. <laughs> you got this. Or do you, want got to, this. you want me to go first or you want to go first? Oh, I think it kind of goes back to uh, talking about, I don't know, the scripture. Where we talked about how there's, if you're putting a lot of weight maybe into some stories in, let's say. Ah, yeah. You find out, you know, Noah's Ark didn't literally happen. Does that mean you stop believing? Wait a second. In Jesus Christ, and I'd say no. <laughs> like my faith is not dependent right. on some of these more 
secondary stories, I guess. Or like, for instance, Noah's Ark. So let's take Noah's Ark out, right? Like, there's yeah. a lot of debate around that one. Sure. And uh, so, but like Jonah. Okay, Jonah. If, if you go back and you read, like, ancient Hebrew thinkers and rabbis and, and whatever, way back then, they understood that story to be allegory, right? They understood that that, that, that was not really a story about a guy getting swallowed by a fish, uh, that it was a story of the Israelites' relationship with the Assyrians who were about to conquer them. Did you get a funny? Uh, yeah. Oh, good. Um, someone's having fun with us in the Q&A session. Um, and so there are, there are elements. I mean, think about the way that Jesus teaches. Yeah, Jesus teaches in parables. When he's teaching about the, the, the prodigal son, it's not really a story about a boy and a dad, right? Like that, that, is, the, that is the setting for a story about God's love for us. Right? The, the, the Jewish tradition is a tradition of using um, very illustrative narratives uh, to show us something deeper than just what's on the surface. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying that everything in the Old Testament is allegory. I'm not saying that. There's plenty of things that are... That it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting mix of history and, and allegory and something in between. And, and, it's, and, and sometimes it's not very clear about when it's shifting from one to the other. And, and as scholars, we're not very clear about when it's shifting from one to the other. There is so many debate, so much debate about every single scripture in the Bible. I mean, really. So, the, but I think the point being, does your faith depend on a certain story yes. being factually true mm-hmm. or not? Um, I think sometimes we get stuck in the weeds on that kind of stuff. Yes. And with the Old Testament, we ask a lot of like sort of the level one questions of did this happen, date, time, place. And like those things are great. Those things are important to study and learn. But even when the date, time, and place is correct, even when it is a historical story and it's a, it's a factual story, the reason they put it in the Bible is not because they want you to know the dates, times, and places. The Old Testament is, a, is the Jewish people's way of explaining who they are. It's their way of developing identity. So it's, it's the next layer of why did this happen? And then past that, what does this tell me be, if this happened and, and why this happened? What does this tell me about who God is and who I am and who we are as the Israelite people, as God's people, right? So if we get stuck at was Jonah really swallowed by a fish or did Noah really build an ark or did God create the world in seven days? If we get stuck on those kind of questions, we're missing the deeper questions that the Scripture is begging us to ask, I yes. think. Sure. And I hope this doesn't make, make me sound like I'm waffling. Yeah, but I also do have a very high belief in, in God being powerful and, and doing things. And so um, I'm always going to leave room for these, these miraculous things, you know? Right. Like, and everyone's like, oh, God can't do that, or that's right. not possible. And so I think there's, there's this, you're kind of in tension a little bit, or it's just this fine line of, well, I'm not dependent on this, but, you know, I want to leave space that maybe God did do these things. And so I think there's a, you can live in both of those worlds. You saw the funny question, didn't you? Was it you? this one? Yeah. That yep. one was pretty there good. Is. is the force the same as the Holy Spirit? How? <laughs> I mean, I just wish I was a Jedi. I mean, I wish that's the way it worked. Um, <laughs> there have been times I wanted to go Darth Vader on people, <laughs> you know. Um, not good. No, it's not. That's why I go to therapy. <laughs> All right. Um, shout out for therapy. Okay. Here, this one is similar to one that we got uh, on the page. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll use the one that's here. I think it's similar to this one. Okay. Uh, this one. What, in your opinion, is the best way to, neg- to navigate that precarious space in between the progressive and traditional ideologies? 
And to add some more flavor to it, this one's a similar question. As pastors of a church, how do you find the line of sticking to faith and not getting uh, into issues of the current political environment? Okay, so this is a question that we're starting to, that we get more and more uh, in recent years, um, and and we get that question a lot just being pastors at Lovers Lane. Yes. Uh, do you mind if I go first? No, you're good. Got it. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay, cut me off if I say something weird. Um, so Lover's Lane, if this is your first Sunday here, uh, you may not know this, but if it's not your first Sunday here, you've probably picked up on this. We're what I call a purple church. Yeah, We've got people that represent every part of the political ideological spectrum, um, and, and, and we embrace that identity. You know, we like the fact that we are not one kind of person at Lover's Lane. That's why our mission statement is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, now, that being said, um, you know, sometimes I get the question of, yeah, how do we stick to faith and not get political? And sometimes I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy to, to, to lift up. Um, there's either faith or politics, right? Um, Jesus was in, in many ways a political figure in his time. You know, make no mistake about it, there was a trial done by Pontius Pilate, who was the local, you know, uh, representative of the Roman authority, um, who crucified Jesus as a sign to the people around of what happens when you begin to call yourself a Lord and have people calling you Lord. The, the early church called the gatherings of churches um, um, ecclesias, which was the Greek word for a, a gathering uh, usually used for political gatherings of senators uh, in, the Roman, in the Roman government. Uh, they called the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Christ, the good news that was euangelion in Greek. Uh, a euangelion was delivered from a representative of the Caesar. Euangelion always came from the Caesar. It was the good news from the Caesar to the people. They called Jesus Christ Lord, Curios. Lord was literally a title of a, of a king, a ruler, a lord, a political figure. So um, the, the notion that faith and politics ought never interact is, is kind of a false dichotomy. There are times when our faith is going to pull us into, not that we go seeking into the political spectrum, but it will pull us into political spectrum when there are things that are happening in politics, in uh, current events, um, that our faith has something to say about. And, and as a purple church, we tend to be very careful about how we address those things. But there are some things that are a bit more clear-cut than others. Mm-hmm. I think that you can be a faithful person uh, and a follower of Jesus and believe a great number of things in the realm of politics. I don't think that um, you have to vote for this candidate or that candidate, that you have to vote for this party or that party to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I do think that there are some subjects where our faith does pretty clearly inform um, what a faithful response is. And, and, you know, we try to be very clear. I'm not a political science expert. I'm not a social, um, you know, uh, 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 social change or social... um, programs expert. I don't, I don't know uh, the political world. Uh, that's, not, that's not my world. Um, but what I do know is I, is I know Scripture pretty well, and I, and I know how to talk about faith, and, and, and our pastors try to speak from that perspective. We always try to root it back into our faith so that it doesn't become just another political point, because uh, the world doesn't need more political points. But I think if we went the opposite route and we only ever talked about vanilla faith and never ever talked pointedly about things that are happening in the world, um, I think we'd be doing our world a great disservice. You know, Jesus didn't look at the, the leper colony and say, well, that's terrible, but I'm not really here to get political, you know. Um, he went and he sat with the leper colony. He didn't meet a tax collector and go, well, you know, I don't want to anger folks who, who don't like tax collectors, so I guess I should probably stay away. No, he went and he befriended and, and discipled a tax collector. These were political people. These were people with political ramifications. So um, I think it's really important that we walk that line and the way that we do that 
at Lover's Lane is, is a couple of ways. Number one is we have to have a baseline of respect for each other. If that's not there, it'll never work. If, if you cannot respect somebody who thinks differently than you do on a subject, it'll never work. And so we have to respect people that think differently about immigration, think differently about environmental issues, think differently about social issues. Um, we have to have a baseline of respect that says we believe that you are a faithful Christian, that, are, that you're being led as best as you know in your faith. But we emphasize that relationship with Jesus here. Mm-hmm. And that's really the second part. Because I know that the, the way that I'm led... Uh, yeah, I listen to leaders. Yeah, I listen to talking heads just like everybody else does. I read newspaper articles just like everybody else does. Um, but really what defines what I believe, it, it has to come out of a living relationship with Jesus. It has, to, it has to come out of that. Otherwise, I'm just sort of stitching together other people's opinions. Um, and so we emphasize that here because we believe if we all sur- you know, sur- circle the cross and we surround ourselves around that main mission then we will find ourselves closer together more often than not, um, even though we may be far apart on, on individual issues. Anything you want to add to that? Sound like you said leprechaun. Leper colony. There just, were no leprechauns in the Bible, as far as I know. I haven't read the whole thing recently, uh, cover to cover, but uh, I don't think there's leprechauns in no, there. No, no, I agree. And I think what's really helped me is, and it kind of piggies back on what you said, but we have to approach people, yes, with, respe- with respect, um, with grace and with love. It reminds me of, you know, um, in Corinthians where it talks about if we do anything but we don't have love, then we're just a noisy gong. And I think about how, no matter how strongly maybe I feel against someone that I feel like, well, how can they think that way or they've done all these things that I, that someone else thinks that about me too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And so I think I have to, um, there's a lot of people that think differently than I do, and a lot of the time, it's, it's not from a place of hate. It's from, like you said, a place of love where they feel like God is leading them. And so I always try to think about that and remind myself that um, the reason maybe they think things is, is not from a place of hate or, I don't know, different things. I mean, sometimes... Right. That comes to that, back to that baseline of respect, like yeah. assuming the best in people. Yeah, and it's... Know. Real hard. Very hard. <laughs> Real hard. Especially when you're passionate about an issue. I mean, we all yeah. have our pet issue that we're yeah. extremely passionate about, and it's very hard for us to see the other side. Yes. Um, but that's the work that the church should be engaged in. We ought to be a, a, a place where reconciliation between sure. differing views can happen. Yeah, and we're all, we're all flawed. We're all broken. We all have things. And so yes. we're all in the same boat, really. <laughs> yeah. Noah's that Ark. helps me. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. So this is a great one that I don't want us to address this morning, but I want us to write like a blog about okay. um, or address this online because I want to give it the care and attention that it needs. How would you explain death in heaven to a four-year-old? Um, and in general, how do you explain death in heaven mm-hmm. uh, in the afterlife to, to kids? Uh, that would require more time than we have right now. Yes. Uh, and, and the same goes for a couple of the other questions that we got this morning. So let's, let's do this. We're coming to the end of our worship service. We've got a couple other things we need to do. Mm-hmm. We've got a family joining. We've got a couple kids getting baptized yes. after worship. So um, if we did not get to your question, all is not lost. Um, one of two things will happen. Either one, we will add it to our, our list of questions that when we do this again, it'll be on there and we'll make it a priority. Or number two, some of these, like I said, I think they would do better in written form where we can give it the care and attention that it needs that, that, that the spoken off-the-cuff format doesn't allow for. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so what happens to non-Christians at death? Um, another very good one that I think deserves to be written um, as opposed to, to um, off-the-cuff delivered yes. right now. So. Um, let's transition.